change can be hard. Even when we celebrate New Year, not everybody is excited about the concept of new. Not everybody is excited about the idea of change or new. There is a theory that suggests that people respond to change in five ways. I will bring that on the screen for you. Five ways that people respond to change. Every time there is a concept of change, an idea of change is coming, there is 2.5% of people who cause change. We call them innovators. 2.5% of people are excited about change and sometimes they cause it. They cause change. Then 13.5% of people, they just embrace change when it comes. Whenever there is a change, whenever there is a new, they just go with it. A new phone, they can't wait. They pre-order new phones. Uh-huh. They can't wait for something new <laughs> to land on their hands. And then there is what we call early majority. The early majority, after they've checked, after the phone is out, they go buy it because they, they heard it's working. It's great. Early adopters. In every change, research suggests that 35% of people will wait, will wait, will wait, will wait, will wait. But eventually, they will follow. After a year or two, they join. But there is this group of people, I knew they existed, but I didn't know if this was this big. They are called laggards. These people, 16% of people never join. They never embrace change. They never agree with change. And that's okay. If you don't want to join change, that's okay. But it's only okay if change is inconsequential. What if the proposed change affects your life? What if that change is what will save you from danger? Uh, what if that change is initiated by God? What if God is the one making change? Are you going to resist it? What if that change is a blessing to you? What category of people do you belong to? And how is that working for you? Where do you think you are? Are you the early adopter? Are you uh, early majority? Are you late majority? Or uh, where, where, where do you fit? And you know, as, as a pastor, I've been trained not to expect the whole church to, to accept the change. As a leader, you need to be aware that some people will never accept change. But the question is, what if the change is caused by God, not by the pastor? It's not the pastor's idea. It is God's idea. He's doing, he's changing things. He's moving things. What do we do with those who don't want to join? Matthew chapter 9, 14 to 17. 
Then John's disciples came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wine skins, and both are preserved. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting at least twice a week. Every Monday, theologians suggest that it was every Monday and every Thursday they fasted. The disciples of John, they were fasting every week. The, the Pharisees were fasting every week. They were following spiritual, spiritual disciplines. And here comes Jesus with his disciples. After inviting Matthew, who was a tax collector, they went to have a party. Oh, let me call it a feast. They want to have a feast. And it happens that that day was a day of fasting. They were not supposed to be eating. But Jesus joined them. And here Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And oh, and on a wrong day, Jesus is eating. So they came to Jesus to ask a question. But the question was not just about fasting. In verse 14, they're asking about fasting, but it's a follow-up question if you read from other verses. The question was not just about eating. It was also, why are you eating with sinners? There were other underlined questions. Why Jesus was in a tax collector's house. Why? That question was not just about fasting. It was also, your disciples are eating on a day that we are fasting. Instead of answering the question, Jesus gave them three weird metaphors. Weird metaphors. Without any explanation. He talked about wedding guests and the groom. <laughs> he talked about old garments and unshrunk cloth. And then finally, he spoke about new wine and old wineskin. For, for the modern person, new wine and old wineskin make no sense. Contemporary wine consumers, they buy wine in bottles. I know you do. It's ready to be enjoyed. Ready to be enjoyed. But Jesus' audience understood the meaning of the answer Jesus provided. In the first century, watch this. They made wine containers of animal skins. Because new wine releases gas during its fermentation process. It required a flexible container. New wine skins have the 
elasticity to stretch without breaking. So we, when you put new wine in a new wine skin, during its fermentation, it stretches, it stretches, it stretches. But if you put a new wine it's into a, an old wine skin, it's, it keeps stretching and it bursts. So you could only put old wine that is already fermented into an old wine skin. They understood what that meant when Jesus said that to them. So I read this scripture. I read this scripture again. I read it again. What was Jesus trying to say to these people? Why answer a clear question with a weird answer? The first lesson Jesus is teaching them is to reassess their loyalty. Reassess your loyalty. If you want to step into the new, into what God has brought, is doing in your life, reassess your loyalty. The Pharisees were loyal to what God said in the past. They were loyal to the, 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 the voice of God that spoke to the prophet in the past. The issue was that they were not paying attention to what God was saying in the present. It was still the word of God, but God kept speaking. And at this time, God was speaking different things and they were not paying attention. They remained loyal to the past. Jesus was doing something new. Grace was being extended to sinners. Grace was being, was being extended to all people, including tax collectors. Grace was being extended and it was new. It was new. Because in the past, God said, do not eat with them. But in the present, God was saying, now it's time to include them. They were loyal to the past. Gentiles, you and I are Gentiles. We were also invited to the table. The Pharisees could not handle that. They could not comprehend that something new was happening. They were loyal to what used to work. Ah, loyal to what used to work. And they failed to recognize what was now working. What are you loyal to? What has been working for you? What has been working can become a barrier to what God is about to do. Are you on the way or in the way? God is taking you somewhere. God is taking your life somewhere. God is taking the church somewhere. God is taking us somewhere. God is always on move. Are you on the way or in the way? Oh, God have mercy. Are you moving with God toward his plans? Or are you stuck in the past trying to protect 
what you are accustomed to. You should not be loyal to good results. Don't be loyal to good results. Try to catch God's result. Be loyal to God's will. Not just good result. I have done that many times and it worked. I've done that. That's what my dad taught me. That's what my parents said. That's what my grandparents said. Good. I love tradition. Is it God result? Or good result? And you know, I'm a very big supporter of listening to your parents. Kids, don't get me wrong. Eh? I see you are laughing. Familiarity, comfort, and fear of the unknown can keep you in the way of what God is about to do in you and through you. Don't miss today's miracle trying to hold on to yesterday's blessing. There is something God is doing now, but because you've been holding on to yesterday's blessing, you, there's no room for the new in your life. There is no room for what God is about to do for you. You know, we all have prejudice. We all have prejudice. We all have recorded information in our mind that helps us navigate new information. We all have prejudice. And, and there is a positive side to prejudice. Let me explain some scientific concept. Our perception is influenced by our schemata, schemata, which are cognitive structures with which we understand our environment. It's in our brain. We collect information and we use it to understand new information. For example, we perceive everything we see in comparison to something we have seen before. If I see someone with Chinese ancestry, I don't need to ask if they are Chinese to know it. My brain will refer just to images of Chinese people I've seen before, link to the person in front of me, and classify them as Chinese. I don't need to ask. I know this is a microphone. Why? I've seen a microphone before. You see, and it's not, it's not judgmental. It's just that's how information is processed in our brain. We know things because we've seen them before. And if you have never seen it, you get confused. You ask, what is this? So there is nothing wrong to have schematas, to have, to have a pre-programmed information in your brain. No problem. The issue with prejudice is that God does not always use things and people we are familiar with. That's the issue now. God will not always give you a reference point. When he's about to do something, he doesn't care about your schemata. He doesn't always bring the people you like to help you. Mm -mm. He doesn't always send you to places you like. Uh-uh. He doesn't always bring circumstances you understand or you like to lead you to your destiny. God is funny, strange, weird. He will not ask you, what do you like? Do you want those people to come to you? Ah, no, 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 no. I won't send that one you don't like him. And that's one you don't like her. Ah, God will send the very people you dislike to come to your life to help you. Like, God, God, not that God, God, please, God, God. God does what God wants. The Pharisees could not comprehend that God was working in new ways. 
They couldn't. Their schemata was cut into the past. God worked like this. This is what he said. And God was like, no, I'm doing a new thing. Their minds were fixated on the old. They were loyal to the old. But God was already on move. He, he already moved on. What are you loyal to? Are you flexible enough to accept people you don't like, things you don't understand, or places you despise? Okay, I won't stay there long. The second question that I want to bring to, the second point that I, I saw in this passage is navigate the tension. Navigate the tension. There is always tension between the old that was perceived as working and the new that is uncertain. Always tension. The biggest challenge we face when God is about to move things in our lives is to figure out how to protect what we love while embracing what's new. How do I protect these ways, this thing that I know it worked while embracing this thing I know it's God doing it? How do I manage this tension between these two things? New is often uncertain. As exciting as change can be, it's still uncertain. You don't always have all the information you need to make decisions when you are in a new place. New is surrounded by uncertainty. I'm not claiming that new is always better. I'm saying that God's new is always the best for you. New is not always better. But God's new is always the best for you. Uh-uh, not everything new is good. I see new stuff on TV and I reject them in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. New ways of living, new way of speaking, new ways of doing things, I reject them. But God's new is always the best for us. Suppose you are still on the fence. You are just there waiting. You know that something needs to change in your life. You lack the idea of change. You know that God wants what's best for you. But at the same time, you are comfortable where you are. You are afraid of losing what you know and understand. God wants you to trust him. Trust him. Step into the new. The Pharisees struggled to comprehend change. They could not understand things have changed. And the third point I saw in this passage is perceive it to receive it. Perceive it before you can receive it. Isaiah 43 19 says, look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. God is about to do something new in your life. God wants to do something new in your life. But it's not enough to hear it. I can scream it. I can shout it. I can yell it. But still, it's not going to make any difference until you perceive it. Until you see it in your mind. Why is it necessary to perceive something? Why is the prophet telling them, do you perceive it? Not do you hear it. 
Do you hear me? Are you picking what I'm dropping? That's what my children say to me. Are you picking what I'm dropping? I'm like, no, I'm picking nothing. You're not dropping anything. If you can see something, you can believe it. If you can see it, you can fight for it. If you can see it, you can sacrifice for it. A new beginning happens in you before it happens to you. A new beginning. You want your life to change? You want God to lead you where he wants to lead you? It should happen in you before it happens to you. Sometimes the environment is not the issue. The issue is in your mind. Look, God promised the people of Israel a new land full of blessings. He called them out of Egypt. He took them out of Egypt. On their way, every time they faced hardship, listen to this, every time there was a complication on the way, they challenged, they threatened to go back. Every time they faced a challenge, the first thing to come to their mind was, we are going back. Moses, let us go back. Oh, sure, yes, we want to go back. You know why? <laughs> because they were taken out of Egypt, but Egypt was not taken out of them. They could only perceive Egypt. They could not perceive the land God was taking them to. So every time they faced a challenge, the image in their head was what they were familiar with. Take us back where we know. We don't want the uncertainty of the promised land. We want the old we are familiar with. The issue was in their mind. They could not perceive it. The only two people who left Egypt and entered the promised land, they are the two people who perceived it. Let me prove it to you. Numbers 14, 24. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendant will inherit it. Caleb and Joshua entered the promised land because they had a different spirit. In other words, a different mindset. A different attitude. They could perceive where God was taking them. That's why they entered. Can you perceive where God is taking you? Can you see what God is doing around you? Or you are stuck in the past? The issue is not that God does not want to fulfill his promises for you. The problem is that you are stuck in your past. You can't let go of the old, that place, that person. Or that habit is holding you back. Oh, let me tell you the truth, church. Let me tell you the truth. God is just waiting for you. God wants the best for you. But your mindset is standing in the way. 
God will not pour his new wine into an old wine skin. Oh, so hear this, hear this, hear this. The distance between you and your new beginning is not measured by weeks, months, or years, but by your state of mind. You are praying for change. Are you ready for it? What's your attitude toward change? Are you a laggard who never lets go of the past? Or are you ready to say yes to God? Are you on your way or in the way of God's promises? New wine requires a new container. We, 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 we understand that's what Jesus was telling them. We can't pour Jesus into our way of thinking, our political positions, our ideologies, our agendas, or worldview. Jesus should shape you and not the other way around. Don't make Jesus fit into your lifestyle. You have to fit into Jesus' lifestyle. If you want change, adjust you to accommodate God. Don't try to adjust God to accommodate you. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus did not come to start a new religion. Or let me be honest with you. Sometimes you need not a new church, a new pastor, or new teachings. Sometimes what you need is a new heart. So let me give you three things to do. If you want to see change in your life today, this week, this month, this year, simple things to do. So you can adjust your life to what God is doing. The first thing I want you to do is to stop. What is the one thing God has been asking you to stop? A habit, a tradition, or an attitude. Just one. Don't make a list of ten things. Just one thing you can start with. That you need to stop today. By the time you leave this room, tell yourself, from now on, this thing is done in my life. One, again, don't take two. I know you are very spiritual. You want to take everything at the same time. Not two, not three. All the things God has been telling you to stop, don't forget about them. Just pick one. You know why? That's how God works. He won't give you 20 liters of milk to drink at, the at once. He gives you cups. That's how God brings his revelation. One cup at a time. One cup at a time. Before you know it with obedience, you finish 20 liters. So what I want you to do, just pick one thing God is asking you to stop doing or thinking or just one thing. And be faithful to that one from today, not tomorrow. Don't say, by the end of this month, I start. No, 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 no. From today, make a decision to stop it. Don't give yourself a few days. No, no, today. This is it. From today, I'm done with this. You've been giving excuses, resisting, procrastinating. Today is the day to stop one thing. One thing. One thing. You know why? Because obedience is a chain. Once you start with one, he will lead you to the second one. And he will give you the strength 
to go through the second one. The reason why you are failing is because you embrace all 20 at the same time. Pick one today. The second thing I want you to do is to start. Start. What is the one thing God wants you to start? One thing in your attitude or habit today. Do not postpone this one. And the third one is stay. 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 Stop, start, stay. What are the good habits, mindset, disciplines, or traditions that need to stay in your life? Not everything old is bad. There are things you need to maintain. There are good things that you've been doing that you need to maintain. What are they? Often the issue is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is that we don't do what we know. That's exactly what God told my wife and I when we were praying this year at the beginning of the year. God, speak to us. God, new, new wine, new revelation, new, new. And he's just looking at us and wait, I'm waiting for you to finish. In the calm, silent moment, a voice just came. Do what you know you should do. Ah, God. And then we started to think about it. There's some simple disciplines. Praying together every day. It's simple. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. We don't need to yell or scream. Just 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Before you know it, you've forgotten it. Life is busy, isn't it? Simple things like that. We started to write down the things that we know we should do that we are not doing again. Oh, God is right. He's always right. There are things that you should go back to. God, I've stopped to do this. Sorry. Sorry. You are praying for change, my sister. You are praying for change, my brother. You are asking God to do things in your life. God is waiting on you. God is waiting for you to do something about you. Because if he gives you what you want, it will destroy you. Satan gives you what you want. God gives you what you need. We do that all the time. Go, change my wife, change my wife, change my wife. And God is looking, change yourself, change yourself, change yourself. (laughs) Once you've made your list of three things, you know, what God wants you to stop, what God wants you to start, and what God you want to do that you know you should continue doing, don't stay in the way. Get on the way. 